Today's show brought to you by our friends at Hawthorne. Hawthorne has this really cool invitational contest this weekend. You can watch it streaming on their YouTube channel starting in the middle of the afternoon. You'll hear more about it in the first segment on today's show. But I know if you're a contest player, you're going to want to check it out. All star cast and a lot of fun. Great contest opportunities all meet long at Hawthorne. To learn more, go to inthemoneypodcast.com slash H-A-W. Welcome to a special edition of the In The Money Players podcast. We've got a lot of extra coverage on this show in addition to the late week video show, which you can find in all the usual places here. We're going to have coverage of Hawthorne and Churchill and Woodbine and a little bit of Meadowlands for you as well. And we're going to start it off right now. Next up on the show, happy to welcome in a first time guest, but somebody I've been watching and following his work for years. He works at Hawthorne. He's Jim Miller. Jim, how are things? I'm good, Pete. Yeah, it's crazy to think. First time guest with everything you do, especially in the contest community and that and all the contests we have at Hawthorne. But I guess this is perfect timing just with everything that we have going on this weekend. There's always contest seats on the line at Hawthorne, a lot of times traditionally around Thanksgiving time. But it's nice to kind of kick off the season with this one. And, and it's a really good group of players, too. It's super exciting for folks that didn't hear the advert that I read a couple of times by the time this airs. There is a live streaming invitational contest happening at uh, Hawthorne this weekend, or uh, we'll, we'll get into the particulars of it with Jim in a second as to the, the, the exact uh, wares and, and, and such. But it's something you're going to want to pay attention to while you're playing horses on Saturday. And Jim alluded to the Thanksgiving contest. This is one of the best opportunities all year to qualify for the NHC. The way that Hawthorne does their contest attracts people from all over the country. Jim, let's start. We're going to do some handicapping in a minute, but let's start diving a little bit deeper into the specifics of the contest. And let's start with this weekend. What do you have going on and where can folks find it? Yeah, so we have a couple of different contests going on. We do have some $500 qualifying contests to try to get people actually into the Hawthorne Invitational as well. But those are going to take place on Friday and Saturday, leading into the Saturday Invitational. And the cool thing about it for the way we do our contests, we do live bankroll. We do the ability to make your wagers, keep your money, focus on basically almost the entire simulcast network that is being offered through Hawthorne to be able to watch and, and place these wagers. And that's the one thing that we've really noticed is that you have so many contest players be coming from so many places across the country, and especially later in the year for our Thanksgiving contests, they're trying to qualify. Their focus may not be Hawthorne necessarily. It may be New York, it may be California, Kentucky, something along those lines. So we want to give everybody that opportunity. I think it's why those contests are so popular too, but to have so many people come out, kind of converge on Hawthorne and our OTB network, and to have the ability to do these contests throughout our OTB network, I think is the reason why they're just so very popular. Makes absolute sense. We can get you can get the full contest schedule. We actually created a pretty link in the moneypodcast.com slash HAW. You can go there and you can look at the full range of events. But I do want to drill down a little bit more on this weekend, this online contest. Well, not online, being broadcast online, yep. the invitational element of it. I just think this is something cool that players are going to want to check out. I know you'll be involved as part of the team. It's available on the YouTube channel. Or the Hawthorne YouTube channel, tell people a little bit more about this invitational, how and why they should follow. Yeah, and that's one of the things that we've kind of changed a little bit here is we want to expose everybody to the YouTube channel a little bit more. You have the capabilities to go out there and especially broadcast your own product through the YouTube channel. So that's where this is going to be live streamed. So if you go to YouTube, just type in Hawthorne Racecourse, you'll see the crest right there for Hawthorne. And that's where the live stream will go. And it's going to kick off about 2 o'clock Central Time. The contest will run all the way through the Hawthorne Derby, which will go at about 5.30 Central, but we'll have those mandatory races throughout the course of the day. And like you said, you see these contests, you see the results at the end, or you see when people make big jumps, but what people don't see is what goes on in the background, the handicapping logic that goes into these selections, the way people may have to pivot based on how the contest is going for them, based on how it's going for everybody else, and especially if they want to qualify – and that's the one thing that we like to incorporate with these live broadcasts. And it's something we did a few years ago before the pandemic, and it was very popular then. We're able to bring it back now. 
But the way this contest goes, it's six mandatory races. The first five races, you have a 200 to $250 bet that you have to make. The last race of the contest, you have to make that larger bet. You have to make an $800 bet. And then you have an optional race throughout the course of the day as well. And the optional is where you see a lot of movement. But I'll tell you, when it comes down to the Hawthorne Derby at the end, $800 having to be on the line for the Hawthorne Derby as well. That's where all the big moves happen. And a lot of times it's somebody hitting a big gimmick or something along those lines. And it really kind of changes the outcome of the contest in the end. And these are players that our audience is going to be very familiar with. You've got former NHC champions there. And tell us some of the players who are going to be on hand. I mean, when you look through some of the champions, I mean, when you talk about Frank Mustari, who won the first Hawthorne Invitational, we talk about Justin Mustari, you look at some of these people. I just heard from Alexa Zepp, and Alexa's such a great personality. It's always so great to have her in there. And really, when you kind of just go up and down the line, that's the biggest thing, too, is you look through the list. It's just kind of a who's who of players in the end. And that's the big thing that, like you mentioned, you go through. Ray Arsenal, a guy who's an NHC champion, is there. Kevin Costello, a guy who's a tour champion is there. Marshall Graham, Dave Goodfriend, a Hall of Famer. I mean, this is what this entire list looks like when you're going through everything. Chris Larmy, a guy who's in the Hall of Fame. I mean, Mike Mulvihill. It's just, you, you keep going. You go through this entire list, and it is. It's a very cool group. And when you get some of these guys that are the local players that you see in each and every contest, that makes it a lot of fun. But when guys want to come from out of town and play in these contests as well, you see how good it is. You see the difference in handicapping logic that goes in, but then they all converge in the end in one race, and that's just where everything's going to unfold. That's very exciting. I didn't realize Marshall was part of the team as well. That's super exciting. Very familiar name to to listeners over here. Jim Bennis, is he going to be participating? You know what? Let me look at the list right now and see if Jim's in there because Jim's a guy that that is has made a name for himself. He is. He's the 2016 champion. He is playing, so that's cool too because Jim was a local guy, and it's funny, Jim got started – through these Hawthorne contests, got started on Illinois racing. Then he kind of shifted his focus out to California and did really well there. But to have him back, it's going to be a lot of fun. And Jim is one of those guys that's a perfect contest player, Pete. You look at Jim throughout the course of a race day, he may see him down in the paddock. You may see him walking around. Jim, is your he's your everyday guy. He's your everyman. He's, he's your guy that just kind of goes about his thing. You wouldn't notice or think, oh, my gosh, this one of the top handicappers in the country and then all of a sudden he comes in the contest and he's a bull. And that's how he plays. But he's very good, very solid handicapper. And I'm glad he is going to be in here. That's so cool. I can't wait to watch. Now, I'll be, I'm on TV myself on Saturday. So I'll be watching on my, my second screen. But uh, when I'm on breaks and whatnot, I'll have the sound up. And I uh, definitely would expect that our listeners uh, to this podcast should be right there along with three Eastern things get going those six mandatory races culminating with the Hawthorne Derby a race we'll talk about we're going to have you on again to talk about some of the other contest opportunities but go to inthemoneypodcast.com slash h-a-w and take a look if you're really looking to qualify for the NHC and you can get away Thanksgiving weekend some great opportunities out at Hawthorne but while I have you here my friend we're not going to let you get out of here without giving a few picks You, you you up for that Oh, of course. Uh, definitely. Great late pick four sequence, too, and the Hawthorne Derby is a part of it. So this, this is a great sequence to close out the Saturday card. It really is. If you're not somebody who Hawthorne is always on your radar, you're not going to be disappointed. I mean, we kick things off here in race number five, 543 Eastern, the scheduled post time for this allowance race for three and up Phillies and Mares going a mile and a 16th on the Hawthorne turf. And we've got an oversubscribed field and, and some really interesting opportunities very curious to get your thoughts on this one how do you want to kick off this late pick four sequence well the one thing i think to take note and just with anything first of all pete with the way the hawthorne fall season's going this year it's so different from any other year because in the past basically 60 percent of your horse population was just shifting over from arlington park you don't have that this year now so when you're trying to look at races and you look at a field like this you have a horse coming from horseshoe indianapolis Right next to that is a horse coming from Canterbury. Then you have a horse from Ellis. Then you get horses from Kentucky Downs. It's horses coming from everywhere. we got a horse coming from Saratoga in this race here. That's the thing that makes it hard. So I guess the first thing you have to take into account is what you're looking at for turf course condition, what you're going to look at for dirt condition. Hawthorne has a very long stretch. The big thing for everybody to understand, too, the Hawthorne turf in the fall is going to be very, very firm. And the reason I say that We've already dealt with our first freeze of the fall here in the Chicagoland area. So it's not like you can throw out a bunch of sprinklers and douse that course in water. So it's going to be a very firm course. That's one thing to take into regard. 
So when you're doing that, looking at your handicap and look up and down the field, I guess the first name that jumps off the page here in race number five is trainer Mike Maker. He's got the 11, Lucy's Cakes Fly. Manny Estevel, a guy who got his start in the Chicagoland area, moved over to Horseshoe, Indianapolis, rode in New York for a while. He's aboard this one. He's riding very well this meet. Running style-wise, this horse has a little bit of versatility. This is a horse that probably won't be too far out of it. But the one thing with this very firm course that you have to take into account, Pete, there's going to be a course that holds speed quite a bit. So you want to be close up. And when you look up and down this field of 12, there's no real pace in this race. So it's going to be a very interesting race. Could be a very bunched up field at the top of the lane. And that's the one that you're the most interested in. Lucy's Cakes Fly that can negotiate that outside post and get the job done with a positive trip. Any others you're, you're thinking to go with her? Yeah, the one thing that I'm kind of interested in in this race, I mean, you get Harvey's Princess from the inside, who's the one that I think probably goes with just because of the inside draw in full field, probably has to wing it out there and at least try to find a position early on. And with the mile and 16 start, it's a very long run into the first turn. Horses will be able to get tucked in. If the pace hooks up and you want a little bit of a price, maybe look at the nine fall moon. This is a horse from the barn of trainer Tim Padilla, who comes in from a summer at Canterbury Park. This is a horse that's been in pretty good form over recent starts. And honestly, the mile and 16th distance, probably the best distance for this horse. Five of 10 on the board, rally late at the distance in the start, two back. Eight to one in the morning line. The other two horses don't provide a ton of value in a big field. So maybe you put Fall Moon in the mix also. If I were to ask you to sum up your numbers, how would you give them for this? You know what? I'm going to go in this race 11, 9, 1. This is a race that probably you would normally want to say is a spread race, but you can't. And the reason why is because when you get to the Hawthorne Derby, that might be the ultimate spread race. <laughs> I had a couple to throw in the mix yeah. here. Number five, 12 stars might not get the right setup and is going to be tested for class. But I just thought it was a little bit interesting coming off of what I considered a no shot trip off a long layoff, trying to close into a slow pace last time, still getting within three lengths. I thought could be uh, could get a good spot maybe inside of the seeming made contenders and could have more to offer second off the layoff. And then you mentioned the possibility that there just is no pace. Bayou win maybe yep. a chance to shake loose. This is one who was probably helped out at Saratoga by being on the right part of the turf course that day. But on that pace angle and on the idea that maybe the pennies just dropped, the five and the eight were two other numbers I might mess around with. And obviously I'll, I'm going to be looking long and hard at your uh, 11, nine and one, but yeah, structure wise, we got to figure out how to make this work and how to make this affordable. Um, let's move on to race number six. We've got an allowance race. Once again, six furlongs on the dirt. I thought that Kierkegaard, the two runner in here was pretty interesting, very consistent. And I thought the last race was maybe a little bit better than it looked making a move into what looked like a pretty fast pace on a track that seemed to favor closers. The winner there was a long shot that came from far back. I thought might get a great trip in behind the speed this time around. Just felt like a much better situation for Kierkegaard. Plus, you've got to love a hunch play for fans of Danish theology as well. And the thing about Kierkegaard too, you get E.T. Baird in the saddle. And he's getting a little bit later on in his career, but I'll tell you, He's kind of at that Mike Smith point a little bit in Chicago. Not quite the rate of rider that Mike is, but the fact that E.T. picks and chooses his mounts. And that's the cool thing that you can see about a horse like Kierkegaard, because this is a horse that should get the perfect setup, like you mentioned. Carl Broberg was at Hawthorne with a slew of horses three years ago and did really well. He started to come back to Hawthorne with some horses and has gotten off to a good start this meet. Two of his first three starters were victorious in races. But like you mentioned, Pete, the pace set up, is perfect in here. You know Comiskey Park's going to wing it. Golden Hornet from the outside probably shows speed. Game Boy Benny probably isn't too far out of it. I think Kierkegaard just sits right behind the pace, waits, waits, waits. It's that long stretch. You have a jock who knows Hawthorne very well, and I think this one just tucks him behind and then runs on late. I like it. So we're in agreement here, it sounds like, in the sixth race. Did you have any numbers to uh, to accompany as exact a partners or backups in horizontal bets? You know what? My backup, I guess, probably is the one Game Boy Benny. And my only concern is I hope this horse runs a race similar to Kierkegaard and doesn't try to go from the inside. Because Comiskey Park's best races are on the lead. That's a horse that has to go. I think Courthouse Cove probably leaves. And then you know how Larry Ravelli trains horses and runs horses. It's speed. It's always speed. So Golden Hornet on the outside, you figure, has to go as well. 
So because of that, the pace is going to be honest. So if you want to throw a price underneath, those are the only two I'd use in the pick four, the one Game Boy Benny and the two character guard, just because I think they get the right trip. Yeah, makes perfect sense to me. Let's move on to the featured race of the day, the Hawthorne Derby, presented by our friends at the Betmakers. These three-year-olds are going a mile and an eighth on the turf. You've tipped your hand that you see it as a spread race. Who are some of the numbers that are going to be on your tickets? So here's the cool thing about having this contest and having Nancy Nancy Holfus in town to help host this contest. Nancy got her start in TV way, way, way back at Hawthorne, but she's worked at TVG. She's been in numerous locations, most recently at Oaklawn. And Nancy talks to a lot of these trainers and was able to get some background into some of these horses. Two guys that she talked to were the trainer of the four, American Mayhem, Jimmy DeVito, and the trainer of the six, Encourage, Kenny McPeak. So you start with American Mayhem, and Nancy asked Jimmy straight out, hey, you might be the only pace in the race. And Jimmy said, that's kind of the way I see it on paper as well. So they kind of tipped their hand a little bit on what they're going to do with American Mayhem, and that's going to be to try to leave, make the top, back things down a little bit, and then try to run out late. And the only question mark they really had with this horse was the distance. You see three turf starts going the mile, going to be asked to go a mile and eighth on Saturday. So the question is how much horse they're going to have left at the top of the lane. But I know Jimmy DeVito is very high on the horse. This is a horse that they expect to be on the front. So we'll see what happens with that one. And then moving on to Encourage. Encourage is a horse that Nancy asked Kenny about and said, hey, what was with the time off in that race mid-December to mid-August? And Kenny said, you know what it was? It was great owners allowing this horse to have time to mature, have time to find the right spot, work and tell them when they were ready. And he said, when they were ready in mid-August, it's like, okay, let's try the turf. You're getting that addition of Lasix, and the horse responded nicely. They followed that up with a very good race at Kentucky Downs, and you know how good the racing was there. And they do expect to probably settle a little bit closer here. You get the benefit of Chris Amy in the saddle. He's a guy that's won 10 riding titles at Hawthorne. And I think Encourage actually sits a little bit closer, maybe only two or three lengths off what's a really slow pace. Those are the two horses that I do think will be the toughest in there. But again, there's a lot of class, a lot of very big names, but those are the two that I would probably use in the Hawthorne Derby. Makes sense. What a cool pedigree on Encourage. Lots of cool more vibes there by Air Force Blue out of the Galileo Dam. And you can see it very clearly in the PPs. Didn't really have this whole racing thing figured out before that long layoff. Came back as a gelding and has done nothing but win since. I went with American Mayhem as my top pick on the pace angle. You make a great point. If this one is tested early, it could be a long last furlong looking at this one's pedigree being by McLean's music out of a jumpstart dam. But if they have any way of uh, backing it down a little bit or getting that little bit of a breather at that mile distance, I think American Mayhem has shown some decently pace for a speed horse. That was the one that I definitely wanted to make sure to mention. Was there anything at a longer price that you wanted to name check as far as your official selections? Yeah, the one other that I actually would maybe consider, again, a Tim Padilla horse on the outside, the nines bends malice, and it's only because of the distance. You look at all these races, and pace may work against this horse, but so often this horse comes running and just running too late. But again, on the grass, nine starts on the grass, seven times first or second. The mile and an eighth distance could suit this horse the only key is going to be what the pace scenario is, but if there's enough pace to chase, I think a horse like Ben's Malice does come charging late in the lane. I could see it. I could definitely see it. Let's move on to our nightcap race number eight. We've got $4,000 claimers going five and a half on the dirt here. And this one gave me a little bit of a headache. I'll be very <laughs> frank. Right. I, I was having trouble seeing the right kind of trips for a lot of the figure horses. I'm hoping you can provide some clarity for me as far as this one goes. I had a lot of trouble just doing a line on this race, too, because it is. It's it's a very tough race. Here's the one thing you need to know. You start with the three Red Hot Devil, and it's a horse that if you want to have in the mix, it's a one-run type of horse. Dig back deep into some of the past performances. Look at the race at the end of May at Hawthorne. This was a horse that absolutely winged it out there on the lead. Had a huge lead going through the turn, and then just hit a wall at the top of the stretch. Then all of a sudden runs a great race on the turf. Turn back to the main track, and again, you find another race where the horse is gunning it on the front end, and nobody went after this horse after a 44-4 and half. But then the recent starts at Prairie Meadows. You see the horse gets headed, doesn't make the lead, backs up. Same thing happens at Horseshoe Indianapolis. Red Hot Devil is a horse that I'm going to stay away from in here, at least looking at my tickets, only because somebody may go after it. Wild West may go after it. Peacock Man may go after it. Someone along those lines. The horse I used on top was the nine, El Asesino. This one from the barn of Max Quinones, 
Julio Felix is the rider. And if you go through this one's past performances, some of the best starts have come at Hawthorne and they've come against so much better company, Pete. This is a horse that was facing optional 20s and victorious at Hawthorne last fall. You went over to FanDuel. I don't know if the horse didn't take to the track. If the horse is something is wrong with the horse or not, that's your big question. But maybe the horse just likes that Hawthorne track, likes the composition of the dirt, likes the way the track sets up, likes the way race is set up. You're going to get a better price, enough pace to chase. I think El Asesano gets a very good trip in the finale. I went with El Asesano too as one of my two horses I wanted to mention. And really just based off of how hard the horse was bet last time, I was maybe willing to give an excuse for the break. And then the, the classic angle of the racing at the new low level, especially for a horse that, you know, a winning kind for this type of race and has had success locally. I put Agave Kid, the 10 yep. runner, as my top pick in this spot. I thought might get the right kind of stalking trip. Um, you know, it's not a, uh, I, I don't really want to call this a drop in class, though I suppose it is technically, but just a horse that might get the right kind of trip, this Archie bred in this spot. I did not have a lot of confidence, but I definitely wanted to have some tens and some nines. Any other numbers you want to mention for folks playing this late pick four at Hawthorne yeah. on Saturday? Yeah. Well, and I want to mention Agave Kid real quickly because look, it's reunited with E.T. Bear too. E.T. has won three of the last four times he's ridden Agave Kid. So you're on a very good horse there. The other one maybe to look to is the one that's outrun the posse. The question is, what are you going to get out of this horse? You're going to get the horse that ran that last race and ran a pretty solid figure at a big price. You switch from the bug girl over to Chris Amy. So you get that experience and a pace setup. Or are you going to get the horse that kind of had some clunkers on the turf? I like that they stay on the dirt. I like that they stay at five and a half furlongs. And a repeat of that last performance in 10 to one may be worth putting out run the posse into the mix in the last. I like the sound of it, Jim. Really appreciate your time today and looking forward to speaking with you again very soon. You got it, Pete. It's a great card. Hopefully everybody can tune in on our YouTube channel for the Horse Players Invitational. It's a great group of players, Pete, and uh, hopefully you get to tune in as well. The Hawthorne YouTube channel, I'll be watching. You should too. Jim, we'll talk soon. You got it. Thanks, Pete. Today's show brought to you in part by our friends at the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund. Purses in Kentucky are powered by the Kentucky Thoroughbred Development Fund, a.k.a. the KTDF. KTDF dollars in purses are only for Kentucky bred horses, so breeding in Kentucky is the best way to maximize profits and your return on investment and breeding investments. Churchill Downs Racing and the Kentucky Racing Circuit as a whole continue to be on an incredible upward trajectory in large part due to these KTDF dollars. And we're very happy to be working with them. And we're going to do a nice little segment on some Kentucky racing right now. Next up on the show, a man who we've been making work overtime lately. Been so fun covering this September Churchill Downs meet, which I guess is now becoming the October Churchill Downs meet, at least for Saturday, from the simulcast feed over there, from the Twin Spires expert picks. Scott Shapiro, what's up, buddy? What's up, Pete? Good to join you again. Looking forward to uh, a very fun last Saturday of this short September, I guess, slash October meet, as you just mentioned. But uh, yeah, some good stakes races, a good late pick four, and uh, hoping to close things out with a bang over the last couple of days. That's the plan. Let's start with race number eight. We've got an allowance race going a mile and an eighth on the dirt. I'll go first because I actually had a fairly strong opinion in here. I really liked the one runner, uh, Tep. Tepu? Is that how we're going to say that this, this runner's name? I think it's Tepu. Tepu. Close, close. I, I was in the ballpark. Yes. Tepu, I think it's just going to get an absolutely great trip from this inside draw. That was a big first run against winners last time. And I just think situationally, it sets up well for Tepu to sit behind the speed and finish. And I like the way this horse has finished up in these last two dirt starts. This was the one that I wanted in here, but very curious to get your opinion. Well, I mean, he's the one I picked him for second. He makes a ton of sense. He's been a new horse since moving uh, over to the dirt. He was good on the turf, but really uh, finished well. in that maiden special weight win at a mile and a 16th, his first try on two turns on the dirt and backed it up with a good effort, a first level allowance race on the Arlington million day undercard. He, he lost by a neck, but Meister, the horse that beat him, who I was surprised surprised by at that point in time but not anymore because that horse came back to win again here at the September meet um, and ran a pretty good number in doing so so I think Tepu definitely an A I ended up picking number seven strong quality I just thought maybe he was going to get well he should get 
first run or should be on or right off the early pace, whereas Tapu, like you said, will probably sit a little bit just off the pace. And I was impressed with this uh, Quality Road Colts return race. He ran some good races against good competition at fairgrounds on all their big days there where they run those big special weight races and won one of them, then went into an allowance event that uh, where he ran a pretty solid second that day. And then he ran real big uh, at Saratoga off the freshening. Uh, was involved early, held on late, no burn. The winner, an Oscar Barrera runner that's now 7 for 16. He just got beat a length by that one. Should not have any problems with a 9 furlong. So the 7 and the 1 are my A's in there. And then I have the uh, 10 complete agenda as a B. All right. That's some good thoughts for race number eight to kick off this interesting late pick four, which moves on to uh, Breeders' Cup winning year in action in the ACAC Stakes. This grade three going a mile on the dirt, winning year in stuff for the Breeders' Cup dirt mile. And uh, we've got the return to the races of Speaker's Corner in this spot, Scott. This is a horse I was speaking with Matt Bernier on Horse Player Happy Hour about. Feels like a horse I'm supposed to be against, that we're supposed to be against, given the questionable form. And I did not pick on top, but in the end, I just couldn't raise up. I couldn't muster the enthusiasm to oppose Speaker's Corner too much just because it does look like a good situation to bounce back pace-wise and that last work signals readiness. I'll get to my pick in a minute. Who did you select in here? What do you think of Speaker's Corner? Yeah, it sounds like we have very similar opinions. I went into the uh, race handicapping, you know, knowing he was going to speaker's corner was going to be a big favorite and I wasn't going to be bull, overly bullish on him. I thought his Pat O'Brien was underwhelming, but yeah, he shipped out to Southern California and run some big efforts against the two maybe best horses in the country and life is good in flight line. He's even money on the line. He could be loose on the lead. I ended up picking for second like you. I didn't want to pick him, but, you know, in the end, it's real hard to get overly excited, I think, about opposing him. I did go with number three, Folsom. I'm a little bit worried about the lack of pace in here, especially if Speaker's Corner gets loose. But this horse just finishes so strong, and I think the cutback to the one-turn mile will even uh, elevate his late run. He's in the best form of his career. He loves it at Churchill. He's a game horse. And overall, this course, although it hasn't been so, uh, so much this week so far, has played to off the pace and outside. So I'm hoping that's the case for Folsom, who will be my other A, along with Speaker's Corner. And then I've got Twilight Blue and Three Techniques, some pretty good prices, both 12 to 1 as my Bs. That's the 5 and the 10. ten I, right. Yeah, I put Three Technique on top in the end here. And the logic was just that I felt like was going to be overpriced. Coming out of a fast race that's produced some good form, at least good form in the freaky winner, Cody's wish. I thought there was a chance that race is just a little bit better than the market's going to give it credit for. And I couldn't fully commit to speaker's corner. So I went five, one for Scott. It's three, one with backups of the five and the 10 in the act act race. Number 10 is the grade two Lucas classic, a mile and an eighth, the return to the races of rich strike, the Derby winner over a course that he loves interesting runners in certainly in hot rod, Charlie and art collector in here. Um, uh, not to mention Happy Saver, competitive little uh, six-pack signed on for the Lucas Classic. Where's your money going to go? Right, definitely competitive. Last year we saw Nick's go use this race to uh, propel him to the Breeders' Cup Classic. This year a little bit more competitive in terms of uh, who the favorite will be with three horses likely to vie for favoritism and Art Collector, Hot Rod Charlie, and Happy Saver. I went to Happy Saber, Pete. I think he's just the best horse in this race, and I think he's going to get the right trip. I think Art Collector will go from the uh, inside. I think Hot Rod Charlie will either go with him or press just off the pace. Art Collector knows for the wire, while Hot Rod Charlie really seems to be a horse, unless he's loose on the lead, that struggles to finish the deal. I think Happy Saber is going to be able to save ground just off the early, a couple lengths off the early pace. I know he, um, I know he has five straight seconds, and it's slightly concerning. But when those seconds are to life is good, flight line, Olympiad, and Maxfield over his last four starts, including two of them here at Churchill, and he's got two, for, and he's two for four at a mile and an eighth with two seconds. I just think he gets the right trip as the classiest horse and has the uh, affinity for the nine furlongs. So I'm going to make Happy Saber a lone A, and then I'll use the other two logicals, Art Collector and Hot Rod Charlie, as Bs. I think Rich Strike could run a good race here, especially if those two go at it. I don't think it'll be good enough to win. So in horizontals, I'll play against them. If you're, you know, going to delve into hitting like a cold try or, or exacta in, or in a compact group, I could see using them underneath, but I would expect them to get a little bit over Bet being the Derby winner. 
I have little to add, my friend. I also thought that Happy Saver would get a great trip. Timeform US has this one favoring speed, but I just don't think Saez is going to let Hot Rod Charlie get that trip he needs to win. Therefore, I think it's going to just absolutely give a beautiful toe into the race to Happy Saver, who's got that finishing ability. And I think he's going to get the right kind of ride from Velasquez to not be too far back. I just think it's an absolutely beautiful situation. I will do one backup line with Hot Rod in case he does shake loose in case for some reason they decide to be a little bit more passive with our collector, but I don't really see it happening. And yeah, I think Rich Strike could run really well and just be third in this spot. It doesn't seem like a great situation for him. Um, the mile and an eighth could prove a little bit too sharp. I'll be interested to see though, how he backs up that huge figure from the Travers. It'll be really interesting to try to get a little more of a line on that, uh, on that Travers day form after you know cyberknife didn't run so great zandon ran terrific the last day i think you could excuse how cyberknife ran in the pennsylvania derby i think in a funny way what rich strike does here might give us a good line on like what that figure should have been if that makes any sense do you, do you buy that yeah. logic at all yeah i do and i thought he ran he definitely ran better than i thought pete you know coming off the bench i thought they made a mistake by not giving him a prep into the Travers and was pretty hard on the connections for not doing so after not running in the Preakness. And he, he really could have been second that day. And, you know, you always wonder what those figures, how they're going to come back. Like you're saying, when a horse wins as easy as Epicenter did, the horses behind can, you know, to me can be a little bit difficult to kind of get a barometer, you know, get a barometer or a gauge on how they uh, actually ran in the race when they're kind of a well-beaten uh, horse behind the winner. Let's talk about the nightcap race 11. We've got three and up fillies and mares maiden special weights going six furlongs on the dirt as it pertains to this late pick four at Churchill on Saturday. How are we going to get paid? Well, I think that the two morning line favorites make sense in number seven, Scarlet Stripe, second start of the career for this daughter of Gunrunner. Got a little bit of a late start to her career on Arlington Million Day. The undercard that day was bet, bet down to two to one in a nine horse field, showed early speed and tired late. Probably moves forward off that effort, and Amarella's kiss has good form on the main track, moves back to the dirt after a try uh, where she stalked and faded at Kentucky Downs. But in the end, I made number three one-time Mo my top selection, a second-time starter for Neil Pesson. Neil, a patient horseman, so I'm not concerned that after a very big late run at Keeneland in late April uh, that he gave this horse time. That was a really good effort. Horse was 29 to 1. Patna was a wire to wire winner for the Brad Cox barn. That horse came back to win. Talented Judmont runner. And one time Mo was rolling late and absolutely galloped, up, galloped out huge. Um, steady series of drills here at Churchill leading up to this race. Neil 19% off a 90 plus day layoff with the recent, his recent runners. And uh, I just think going to be a much better price. I don't know if we'll get the eight to one morning line, but much better price than the seven and eight. So I think three, seven, eight gets us out of the race, but I have interest in wagering uh, on the three, if anywhere near the eight to one. I like the same three runners. We're very much in lockstep here. I went with Scarlet Stripe on top. Walsh so good with the second time starters. Good looking work since that race that you referenced. And yeah, one time Mo, the three I had second. Very, very interesting off that promising debut in April. Kind of run where it looked like the horse is figuring things out about halfway through the race. The form of that race worked out well. Obviously something went wrong. I see nothing spectacular in the work tab. And I like the works from Scarlet Stripe. That's why I went 7-3 instead of 3-7. But I like them both as A's. And I did think that the, the eight runner you mentioned, the obvious backup. And I'll be including as well as we close things out. Scott, really appreciate your help, not just today, but all throughout this meet. Hopefully we will do things again uh, when things kick back up at Churchill in, in November if you're game. Sounds good to me. Anytime you want, Pete. It's been a lot of fun catching up with you each week, and uh, hopefully we can uh, help some people uh, connect in the uh, late horizontals on Saturday. Cheers, my friend. Cheers. Great racing continues this weekend at Woodbine. we got a segment coming up on the Late Pick 4 on Saturday, highlighted by the Duchess Stakes. And then on Sunday, October 2nd, it is the third jewel in the Canadian Triple Crown. The Breeders' Stakes, mile and a half on the grass for Canadian breads. Good racing going to be continuing to happen throughout the month of October and beyond. We'll be covering it all for you here on the In The Money Media Network, at least on Saturdays. We will. For more information about Woodbine, go to woodbine.com. Next up on the show, happy to welcome in our man we bring in when it comes to all things Woodbine. He's also the business manager here at In The Money Media. He's Drew Cotney. Drew, how are things? I'm good. I'm good. It's uh, 
Nice and fall warm right now. It's going to be 60s in northern Michigan. Looking to get some fall golf in this weekend. Some good horse racing and then NFL Sunday as well. So no complaints on my end. How are you? Things are good. Uh, rare weekend at home, but it's I'm on TV all weekend on Sky, so not really going to be taking advantage of too many uh, New York things. I've got a parent set up with a nice play date on Saturday, so I'll have a chance to uh, to do the shift without interruption. Those child interruptions they work well on podcasts, less so on uh, on television. Though they, though it is somewhat amusing when she pops in on there. And then I think my mom's going to come Sunday, so it should be good. And you mentioned, I mean, what a weekend of racing. We've not only got all the win and you're in stuff Saturday, but loads of stuff on Sunday as well. We're going to have a special show on the plus side of things covering long shops. So you can wake up early in the morning on Sunday and have racing pretty much all day. And if you care to have that NFL action on in the background as well. So good stuff happening, a very action-filled time of year. And it's basically going to be a dead run around here from now through the Breeders' Cup. Our friends up north at Woodbine have some good action coming up. This uh, E.P. Taylor field looks potentially really interesting with Moira maybe going to turn up there. Also, maybe Warlike Goddess, which would be a really interesting spot for her. We'll be covering that when the time comes. I can't remember if that's next weekend or the weekend after, but uh, lots of good stuff happening at Woodbine. We've got some stakes action as part of the four races we're going to talk about today. We'll kick off with race number seven, where we've got these two-year-old maiden fillies going six furlongs on the synthetic and an oversubscribed field. Who do you like in this one? Yeah, I'm going with the logical here of number 11, uh, catchy name at three to one. Last event stalked the pace in tight two wide and found some good strides late. And today's the second start in a little bit of a wide draw. Kimura aboard. Um, I think the horse will stay in the clear and make one run late. Nothing too, too exciting here. The, the other one I have a little bit creative is the number four stuff at 20 to one. Was not bad at all. 60 to one on debut. But today stretches out and switches surface was outrun really early after hitting the gate. And maybe the six furlong distance will help this horse find some early position. I'm going to tepidly back, and I would imagine we'll see 30 to 1 on the number four stuff in what looks to be a wide open event. So an A is an 11, and then maybe a C for the number four stuff. Yeah, I mean, hey, it's uh, beyond the favorite. It is wide open enough that I don't hate the idea. I don't see much on stuff on on, on paper, but it's the kind of race where having a little bit of chaos on your side might make sense. I thought Catchy Name was the one, the 11 runner, coming out of that stakes debut. That was a fast-paced race and just looked sort of a fast, fast race shape, the kind of race I'm expecting horses to come out of and run well. Uh, Post probably doesn't do too many favors, but this is a meaningful drop-in class, and I think there's a chance the catchy name is just better than these in a race where I didn't find a whole lot else to grab onto from the other runners. So we're both with the 11. Drew has a clever, hopefully clever, idea about trying to get the four stuff somewhere as well. Let's talk about race number eight, three-year-old and up fillies and mares in the allowance ranks going a mile on the turf. And in this field of six, I was going to try to play the pace angle on number two. Ms. Van Cougar might have that pace advantage, breaking on the inside with the best early pace figures. This one's coming out of some fast-paced races, which I like. Stretched out well enough the last day. Now, that was on the inner. Now we're going farther on the outer, which can be tougher on speed. But just in terms of who shows up here against her, I'm hoping she can just get galloping along and see out the mile on this galloping turf course. We'll see if Ms. Van Cougar can get the job done for me. Just felt like a race where maybe a runner like Keyflower, who I think will be the favorite, could be against the flow once again, as I think she was last time in the Canadian. But curious to get your opinion. Who do you like in here? Yeah, I'm going with, I, I did see the pace angle you did, but I'm going to go with the number four in the winner's circle, just on the signal of Cassie entering this horse in the dance smartly against Wakanaka and Fev Rover on debut for the 2022 campaign. So hadn't raced since December comes back in July and uh, kind of tends the pace and drops anchor a little bit. Uh, then in the Trillium didn't really show up on the all weather against lady spite spear. And then today third off the bench might be in prime form because we've seen some decent runs from this runner and has a middle pressing early pace figure with a decent late pace. If 
the number four in the winner's circle does not get ahead of the stablemate number three, Key Flower, in the backstretch. So if Key Flower is leading, the number four in the winner's circle is toast because I think the number three, Key Flower, has the better, stronger kick. I'm playing the angle that number four in the winner's circle is going to be pressing up near the lead, well clear of Key Flower, and continue running on late and hold on at the end. Two to one feels light because there were a lot of yeah, ifs, sure and that's there's a lot of ifs I just laid out there. Yeah, I mean, I'm I see the case, but yeah, two to one. If that morning line guess is correct, it just feels a little short for me for a horse who I see your point might be coming back into form, back on the better surface, third off the layoff, but you know, coming off pretty two pretty dull efforts. I mean, you can definitely excuse the dance smartly to be as you know short horse, but did fall away rather tamely, and then was just terrible the last day, but. We'll see. Uh, maybe you'll get more of a price, and I, and I definitely, I definitely do see the positives there. I'm sticking with my two runner. It sounds like we're both at least mildly against Keyflower with the expected race shape in race number eight. Let's talk about the stakes race in this sequence. We've got three-year-old fillies going seven on the synth in the Duchess, and Drew, we'll keep it with you. Yeah, I've got two A's in here. I think the number two Empress Tiger has been really impressive. Debuted on this surface very, very well, then shipped up to Saratoga, uh, took away uh, a win and a second place against a horse I really like, Poppy Flower, who didn't show up at Kentucky Downs last out, but did turn the tables on Poppy Flower in the uh, July 15th event. So the number two Empress Tigress, I think just has the class, installed at five to two morning line. And I like the stretch out uh, because this one does not need the lead to get the job done. The other A will be using the number one loyalty for L&J and Gainswood, or Gainsway, excuse me, uh, has shown some good speed on the all-weather and has to send from the rail, you'd imagine. Otherwise, this one may find a lot of trouble uh, down the lane with some traffic. And then one I'll be using as a massive long shot. Couldn't believe the morning line. Uh, the number nine, Pharaoh's Song, drawn to the wide outside at 15 to one. A simple cutback and ships into Woodbine has been earning some respectable time for U.S. figures. A real wild card at 15-1, to 1, why not use as backups on our ticket, where we're pretty narrow elsewhere. So two A's of the two and the one, and then one backup horse with the number nine, Pharaoh Song, in this listed stakes event. I get where you're going with Pharaoh Song as a runner who's shown a little bit of finish for a good barn who could have plenty of pace to run into in this spot and has breeding that looks like it should adapt well enough to to synthetic if you look at the time form us um, breeding ratings pharaoh song rated very strong when it comes to uh, sprinting on the synthetic which this technically is um i didn't use as part of my picks but i'm thinking of now trying to throw in on a backup line i used as my top pick number three pioneers edge another one i was expecting to be able to benefit from a the expected strong pace in this spot this is a runner that I like for the cutback here, and I think she should really get a good trip with that with that speed sign on. I didn't have much more than that, other than I expect this horse to be about six to one. The two runners you mentioned as A's looked obvious to me: Loyalty and Empress Tiger. Tigress, I have them listed as B's, and I think I'm going to throw in your nine. Pharaoh Song is a B as well, so not much opinion in here for me. I'll spread a bit, but I will press the three Pioneers Edge. As we move to our nightcap, where we've got three and up Philly and Mare allowance types going seven furlongs on the turf. For those of us playing these late picks, the rolling late double, a bet that you and I both uh, really like to get involved in at Woodbine with that lower takeout. How are we going to get paid? Yeah, I'm still shaking from the uh, the Charlie Appleby invasion from Europe. So I'm still siding with the Europeans here. The number six, Silvestri at three to one. Strong runnings over in France based on their time form figures. And today gets Lasix for the first time in Kimura aboard uh, may just be the best of the field. And I'll also use another a with the number three of fraud. I think we've talked on the show in past. You've even tipped as a top horse uh, today is going to be installed a 10 to one morning line. And I think last out had a bit of a trip and faded It's capable of so much better. It's proven that as well. Um, the prior two stakes races, um, the horse was pretty well outmatched. So today gets a lighter bunch and hopes to return to that maiden win form that the number three Afrata had. So two choices for me, the six and the three Silvestri and Afrata respectively. Um, Silvestri, pretty simple, best class, best speed. 
I had Afrata on the radar and made my third pick because I do think getting back on the right surface has some flow excuses. And I do think that there's a world in which they go fast enough here to set this up for an off-the-pace runner. But the off-the-pace runner that I preferred was the number one gambling cat this time around. I think we'll get that great setup. Been closing it to even and slow paces. And again, I think with runners like the 2 and the 12 in here and maybe the 10, I think they could go a little bit faster and maybe set this up for somebody from off the pace. The other runner I just thought was obvious was your top pick, Silvestri, based on that French stakes form. Um, this dual surface performer just looked too obvious to ignore. So I'm going to try to play it one, six, and three to close things out here at Woodbine on this Saturday night. Any closing thoughts from you about Woodbine or anywhere else you're looking to bet this weekend? No, I, th- I think my play of the day would be a double race eight um, with that optional claimer, probably using your horse, uh, the number two and the number four in the winner's circle and key those around Empress Tiger to Dutch to make sure I think you'll easily be able to get four or five to one value in a Dutch situation. So that's probably the play of the day here, a little four, two with the two race eight into race nine, those low takeouts on those doubles. Great for us horse players as well. Yeah, that's for sure. I, I could see myself not doing the full spread of all the runners I mentioned in races nine and 10, but maybe playing some doubles with pioneers edge to the one, three, and six in the last leg. And then just trying to get alive. I think Gambling Cat likely to be, um, and actually Afrata too might be worth throwing in just at the prices to, to play my much bigger spread, the one, two, three, nine in race nine. Come back and play that to the to the one and the three. I'm guessing some of those combos with Silvestri, it'd just be too spready and not work out. So I may leave Silvestri out of those and then come up with some, hedge possibilities in the last race maybe if i'm alive in doubles to the one and the three i could play the six over the one and the three there and just Mm -hmm. sort of mess around that way taking advantage of the spots where the takeout uh looks the best and and dance from there that might be my my method of doing it no super logical place for a for a head-to-head that i that i see really feels like we like we like enough of the same horses uh to, to we can leave that one alone for this week but drew maybe we'll find one next week hopefully you'll be back with us talking woodbine once again yeah thanks for having me we'll talk soon if like me you love following racing all around the world i've got something you need to check out Right now, the fall racing calendar in Britain is reaching a crescendo with a flurry of Group 1 races, while the world's most prestigious turf yearling sales are about to get underway at Tattersall's next week. It's the perfect time of year to be exploring and getting involved in British racing. But where to start? Well, over this period, Great British Racing International is bringing you a showcase of the best British racing and bloodstock as told by leading figures from across the industry. On www.investinthebest.co.uk and across GBRI's social media platforms, you will find stories of world-leading horses trained in Britain, of the country's foremost breeding operations, of the global footprint of horses sold at Britain sales, of the welfare standards that are upheld for the horse population in Britain, and much, much more. You can also find out about and contact Great British Racing International, who can assist you in taking your first steps into buying, owning, racing, and breeding in Britain. To find out more and follow the stories, visit investinthebest.co.uk. Brought to you by our friends at Great British Racing International. Next up on the show, we've got our man from InTheMoneyPodcast.com who does a fantastic job covering the Naira circuit day in, day out over there and also looking at jersey racing with us since the start of the summer. I'm speaking, of course, about Nick Tamaro. Nick, how are things? Doing great, Pete. Looking forward to another big weekend of action uh... All coast to coast. It's nuts how much there is. And I, I feel like it's it's probably a host fail for me not to, to uh, prod you for some of your favorite opinions in races across the country. But we have in the moneypodcast.com for that. Folks can read your Naira analysis with free selections and thoughts over there. So we will leave that one. And we'll start this by addressing the elephant in the room. Looking at the forecast, sure seems like there's a non-zero card that this card we're about to talk about at the Meadowlands might not happen. Is that fair? Yes, it looks like the remnants of Hurricane Ian are going to be making their way northward and that it'll cause a pretty pretty big problem potentially for the uh, the Northeast, including Belmont at Aqueduct, Belmont at the Big A, um, and Meadowlands, of course, which is all turf racing. So, yeah, keep an eye on the forecast, but I'm not going to be surprised if they end up having to 
to scrap this card altogether. We'll go through it, though, as if it's going to proceed. And we'll start off with race number one, which is an allowance race going five furlongs on the turf. Who was installed as the the favorite in terms of fixed odds betting, which you can do both at uh, Monmouth at the Meadowlands at the facility or through the Monmouth Bets website. Who is the favorite and who do you like? Yeah, slight favoritism to the big class dropper, Discreet Tune, who is going to be about $3 on the decimal odds, looks like, on this class drop. He'll be pretty tough to handle. He is in for the $20,000 tag, so not the greatest vote of confidence from trainer Carlos David, but I think he's he's got him positioned where he should be price-wise, um, probably looking to see if he can get a win into him before the winter. Four harp, one door to the outside, $4 as the uh, second choice, Bam Bam Blue for Dennis Drazen is $5 towards the outside. These horses all look like the major players in here. I would, as far as a pick six goes, because the Jersey short six, the 20 cent Jersey six, I should say, starts here in race number one. I'd probably single discrete tune back up with the uh, three, five, and seven. Four with three, five, and seven. That four being the Nick says single, but when we say that around here, we often mean lone A when there's a race, you know, as opposed to the old stone cold singles that some folks may be used to hearing about. Let's talk about race number six. We've got Jersey breads, three and up fillies and mares, a mile and a 16th on the turf. What numbers will be on your tickets in here? Yeah, we're going to have Postino's Prophecy at uh, at nine to five. I'm sorry. Yeah, at a dollar 80 in the decimal language, four to five. Uh, as the odds, this horse looks like a single Philly facing females again after facing males last time out, got into some really legitimate traffic trouble too around the, uh, the back stretch was as they were straightening out and then still ended up putting forth a pretty good late run. Hiro Rendon, I think has distinguished himself as one of the better turf riders around uh, the Jersey uh, circuit and drawn favorably on the inside. She should be very, very tough to handle here. I think a, a pick five single to get that started as it looks like the other players in here really lack any type of, uh, of interesting pedigree or prior turf form. Teamo on the inside is going to be about $13 a decimal. This one is worth a little bit of consideration, moving back up in class into the maiden special weight ranks, but did fare well last time out, rallying into a pretty slow pace. I'll be just the two here as far as the picks go. Okay. For those really looking to reach and go deeper, Teamo a possibility. But as far as your official suggestions go, it's this one is a stone-cold single, yes? Exactly. Race number three is a $30,000 claimer for Phillies and Mares going the sharp flat five on the Meadowlands turf surface. Who do you like in here? You know, I've learned the hard way over the years that horses like the nine walks like a lady are often very tough to beat in here. This one, $3.50 on the $3.60, I should say, in the decimal language drawn on the outside off that maiden win at Laurel. Comes back off a little bit of a layoff. Takeda going five days successfully on the lawn is being able to get forward. And I think that she will be able to do just that. Drawn outside, I think she's really positioned ideally. And the main players look like the six fast Corey, as well as the five Bali Baby. And Bali Baby really only has one good turf race to look at recently. Fast Corey is also dropping to 30 after being claimed for 35 and failing last time out, albeit against much better. So that was what kind of led me to walks like a lady. I'll end up using all three. I don't see any point in being beaten by any of them. My backup would be the one little red button who might have just been better off sprinting the whole time and now cuts back in distance. What number is little red button? One. The one. So nine, six, and five on the A line with the one on the B line for Nick as we head to the back half of this Meadowlands card with nickel claimers, Phillies and Mares, mile and a 16th, nine runners going postward. Who's your idea of the winner? Yeah, just an enormous class drop on the six Volador, who's three to one on the morning line. I think that's a pipe dream, looking like more dollars, more like two dollars forty in the uh, fixed odds market, dropping from a one other than in for five. This is a horse who was claimed for sixty two fifty by Hugh McMahon back in August of twenty twenty one. So she has come uh, pretty close to paying for herself since then. I think just because of the, the purchase price, she's done so. But uh, I, I think she looms very tough. I can understand anybody arguing it's a bit of a suspicious drop, as there are a lot of ways down the class ladder from a one other than all the way down to a nickel. The three uh, Isla Bonita is coming back off a little bit of a layoff, $4.50 in the decimal language. Looks like one who'll take a little bit of money as well. I did think there was a little consideration that needed to be given to the fact that Volador 
or is, is drawn one door to the outside of the main speed. Loves Misery, who looks like she might be able to get loose in this race. Jose Delgado with a front-running type stretching out and distance. I want to include this one at a fair price as well. We've got it $5.50 decimal, but uh, I'm going to use the five and six as A's and back up with the three. Five and six, but in the order six, five, would you say? Five, yeah, six, five, three. All right, nice. And the three as a backup there for Nick. We move to the penultimate race on this Meadowlands card. We've got $10,000 maiden claimers, three and up, flat five once again. Field of seven going postward on the morning line. Get them digits is the favorite. Looks like on time form anyway. He could be loose in here. Is this who you have as the favorite uh, fixed odds wise? And who do you want on your pick six tickets? Yeah, this looks like uh, a situation where get them digits will be a pretty solid favorite. Probably around $2.60 decimal, about eight to five. Coming in off the third place finish at Colonial against better contested a hot pace that day. And I think it's safe to say that the 11 horse field that uh, that he ran against better top to bottom than the race that the one and two come out of from Monmouth on September 11th. I do think that among those three, you'll almost certainly find the winner. I wonder, Tad, if the big calico might be the one who could benefit most from the uh, the, the race flow as it looks like Almond Cider and uh, get them digits are a little bit more committed to being involved early, and that might help set the table just a tad. I'll use all three equally as A's, one, two, and six, but I do think the, and, and I'll make the big calico my top pick, uh, perhaps getting the right setup. I get that point for sure. The Peleg, race number six, nickel claimers once again, Phillies and mares going five furlongs. How are we going to get paid? Yeah, situation where the two Captain Sam looks awfully dangerous, drawn inside in light with the bug girl on board, dropping to the $5,000 level and the main speed down there. I do think she'll have to deal with call me jelly roll just a tad early, but push comes to shove. Captain Sam a little bit quicker and likely to get loose in this field. Horses like that for this trainer are always going to be very, very dangerous. Back in Carlos David's care off a try for Kieran McGee. Two starts back at Colonial. Look, if that effort is duplicated, this horse is going to be very, very hard to handle. I'd be comfortable ending any of the sequences I have going uh, with the one and two. I'd make the two a pretty solid top pick. If your budget is a little bit tighter, you can single there. Might find a way to include the four, my masterpiece, who made a middle move before flattening out last time out against slightly tougher over at Penn. While I have you, is there one horse in particular across um, North America, or heck, we'll throw it open to the Paris, even the world, that you're looking forward to seeing run this weekend? I'm looking forward to seeing run for sure as life is good, right? I mean, we're, we're pulling for a, a big life is good win for a showdown with Flightline and the Breeders' Cup Classic. But um, I'm interested in the champagne tomorrow. I think it's going to be a fun race, and I'm, I'm intrigued by uh, how horses like Verifying will do facing better competition, including on Diamo Aferense, who looks like a really legitimate New York bred that we've seen uh, for this ownership group. We've seen New York breds do well uh, with them in open company. So it's a, it's a pretty pretty fun weekend coming up, no doubt about it. That awesome again out at Santa Anita is a really, really interesting race and one that shouldn't be overlooked in terms of how competitive and fun it could be from a betting perspective. Did you have an opinion yet? Or are you still grinding on that one? I like Royal Ship a little bit. Nothing crazy. Just uh, looks like a horse that might fit the race pretty well. And, and the effort to back was awfully, uh, awfully eye-catching. Yeah, that's for sure. And, and you can conjure excuses from the last day as well. Hey, you mentioned a New York bread before talking about the champagne. What did you think of that New York bread in the nightcap last night at the Belmont at the Big A? Looms boldly. Very strong effort uh, for, for your namesake. I, I heard one of, the, one of the descriptions that was made of him was that he had been clumsy in his training. And so I, <laughs> I will make no further comments. That assessment. Well, between that and Brad Cox telling me on the show the other day that he carried a little extra flesh, I'm going to say that there's some possibility that human and equine have, uh, have plenty in common. I'll say this. He didn't look, and I haven't really talked about this publicly, he didn't look fully fit to me. You know, I, I think there was a reason why he was uh, bet or not bet the way he was. So you, you put that in there. You factor in that the whole family got better with their racing. You throw in that it seemed like more of an outside, you know, closers type day, certainly than inside speed type of day. And the fact that he falls to his nose. Yeah, I know. He was one to a hundred with a furlong left. And you like to see a win when that happens. But as somebody invested in the long-term future of this animal, I couldn't have been more excited despite the seemingly gross beat. Um, and I didn't bet. So I, you know, I, I really thought he was going to need the race. So I, anyway, I, I think the future is bright for my namesake and, and I'm hoping to, 
to go get to see him again soon. What a great treat. And thanks again to our pals at 10 Strike Racing for uh, for naming one after me. What a, what a cool thrill. It can't be long before we see a Nikki the Boss out there on the track. I, there's there's one in the works that, that involves uh, – well, there is a horse that, that they have coming up named Love You Blue. And so until the actual – the actual one named for me runs. I'm going to claim "Love You Blue" as my uh, <laughs> as, as mine, so I have no issue with that at all. Oh, fantastic stuff, Nick! Great chatting with you. We'll be talking soon. Thanks a lot, my friend. Talk soon. Fixed odds betting powered by BetMakers is back and in effect in New Jersey. The early returns are fantastic. Seventy percent of winners paying more on fixed odds than they are on the tote. This is an exciting new way to bet that really puts the power to get value in your hands because the odds you bet are the odds you get. You're going to be hearing a lot more about fixed odds across the In The Money Media Network. That's going to do it for this edition of the show. I want to thank all of today's guests, not just on this show, but also on the regular late week show that we did the video for, the live stream the other night. What a great assortment of horse playing talent I'm lucky to have on these airwaves. I'm also lucky to have all of you, the listeners, who make these shows so much fun to do. Thanks for your ongoing support. Reach out if you have any questions. You know the best way to keep track of everything we've got going on is to sign up for our free plus service in themoneypodcast.com slash email. And if you want more, a lot more about these ongoing meets, got a new uh, writer, Justin Christine, doing this notebook for Santa Anita. That's fantastic stuff. We're going to have Keeneland Notebook as well. There's cool things happening over here on the In The Money Media Network on the plus side. You get more shows. You get digests of all the picks in themoneypodcast.com slash plus to learn about that. Thanks to our founding partners, 10 Strike Racing and the Thoroughbred Retirement Foundation. We've got this TRF party coming up Friday night of Breeders' Cup week. And I just can't thank my friends from 10 Strike enough for naming this horse Looms Boldly after me. He surely appears to be a runner. Watch that tape and uh, tell me what you think. Feel free to reach out and let me know. This show's been a production of In The Money Media. Our business manager is Drew Cotney. Our chief creative officer is Jonathan Ginchin. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May you win all your photos.